What's up, Dingerball Nation? We is back. I know that's not correct grammar, but uh, I did not get a degree in English, so I will Thank let God. myself take a pass. Exactly. Thank God for that. I did not want to go through that in college. But we are back, firmly back, and we are glad to say that we have a lot of recaps for you, and we have honestly spent a lot of time thinking about everything we could be talking about during this offseason. We know that during the regular season, we've had a little bit of uh, minor uh, technical difficulties, I guess we'll say, because uh, we both are working adults now, so we were trying to balance that and also try to balance this podcast, and we were also trying to balance the ways we could best give this podcast to y'all. So, uh, with no further ado, my co-host, part owner of uh, this Dinger Ball podcast, Jacob Hennessy. How's it going? You know, it's going real well. Like Obviously, like you said, a lot of change has been up in the last... Whatever it is, six months since we released the last one. Three months, four months? I don't know how long it's been. It's been a while, dog. It's been a while, but obviously uh, we moved new apartments. I got a, I got a job, got a new job on top of that. It's been a lot of changes in the last couple months that we've just been kind of having to handle on our own. And it, it's been – we've been trying to figure out ways to best release this. Obviously with the COVID season, things got really awry when we were talking about who's going to be the best players of this year last January because in a 60-game season, you can't really predict it because obviously you're going to have guys that just come out of nowhere and just outperform everybody. Obviously, like, the, the biggest example I can think of this year is Teoscar Hernandez. He's been pretty good. The dude was great. Obviously, Silver Slugger hit the ball well. but Above average. You know? <laughs> but, but nobody knew who he was six months ago. Nobody knew who he was. He was just kind of a no-name guy on an up-and-coming team that really had a bunch of young prospects. Because when you really look at the Blue Jays, you think of two guys in the in the prospect list. You think of Bo Bichette, and you think of Vladdy. That's it. Vlad yeah. Jr. Definitely not wrong. There was a, a lot of surprises this year. Um, I guess to nobody's surprise, the Dodgers actually made it to the playoffs. They were probably what I would consider to be the best team in the league going into the playoffs, and then they were the best team leaving the playoffs, obviously, as the World Series champion. So, yeah. Here's my question for you, though. What was your biggest surprise for the 2020 season? Oof. Biggest surprise. Miami Marlins. That's exactly what I was going to say. I didn't think that they'd be able to put together a team that was capable of being above 500. I thought that they had the pieces it took to be a competitive team and potentially fight for it, but I didn't think they were going to be able to even get in the playoffs, and they did. And they beat the Cubs, which, you know, hats off to them because I absolutely love that, even though, I mean, my Cardinals lost. but Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that, but I respect them. And I still think my favorite part of that Marlins team this year is you look down the list of awards and you don't see a single player from Miami Marlins on the list. It was just Don Mattingly doing Don Mattingly things. He led a team to greatness. And I think the big part that you saw a lot of those guys feed on, a lot of those guys really worked their butts off for because of this thing, was that comment that was made by the Philadelphia Phillies announcer. You can't lose the bottom feeders. The Miami Marlins were not a bottom feeder this year. They were a top-tier team. They played great. They played great baseball. Obviously, would that have lasted over a 162-game season? That's to be discussed by... Us, everybody. And everybody else now. Over 162 games, would they have made a playoff run? Maybe. Maybe they would have. With the way they were playing, they definitely would have. But can that sustain? And obviously, you had a bunch of older guys on the team. You had a bunch of younger guys on the team. And the older guys obviously have injury injuries that are going to happen. Yep. They're not going to play a full season. And the younger guys, you don't know how they're going to compete. Because this is, for most of them, that was the first time for them playing a full schedule. And, that, and even that's kind of a stretch because it was yeah, 60 games. A big ass. But, but that is a full schedule for them. How are they going to compete over 162 games? Because most of them haven't played more than 70 in their life. Yeah. I think that's a really big thing to consider, especially in the situation. Uh, the White Sox in general, I think we're a pretty good team. I really can't fault them for anything. And also the fact that they had Jose Abreu. Um, Obviously, at this point, we know that Jose Abreu is the MVP for the AL side. I think well-deserving as such. I mean, when you hit 317 and he hit 19 home runs in a 60-game season, like that's that's pretty elite. 
He homered a third of the games almost. Yeah, and that's, that's impressive. Pretty elite with an OPS plus of 166. I don't think many players in the game are capable of that kind of production, especially even at his age. Like, he's 33 years old. He's not getting any younger. And I think there was a lot of questions going into the season. What does Jose Abreu really contribute to the White Sox going forward? And it's obvious he's an MVP caliber kind of player, and he's going to offer that kind of level. Yeah, there this, were a lot of questions about Jose if, if he was really the answer in Chicago at first base, for, and the south side for the first base at least. They yeah. already had their answer in the north side. Anthony Rizzo is going to be their first base for a while. But that's a different issue. But there was a lot of questions about him. Like, is he really that caliber of a player – that you pay that ton of money for to produce. And he up, up to this point in his career, no. he's just been a power guy. He's going to get you a lot of home runs. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. But he's not going to get on base a ton. And that's the big difference this year is that he actually got on base. He found ways to hit doubles and singles too. And that's really what pushed him over that, that hump into that elite first base category that won him MVP. Because up to this point, he's just been a slugger first baseman. And that's – in, in this year's uh, type style of baseball, a slugger first baseman isn't the type of first baseman that's going to compete to be a top-tier player. And he really kind of flipped and became that guy that can handle both ways, where he's going to, if he gets down on the count, I'm going to go back to my Cubs because I love my Cubs, Anthony Rizzo. When he gets down on the count, he shortens up, he finds a way to put ball in play. And that's what Jose Abreu did this year. He found a way to put the ball in play when he's behind in the count. And that's really not something you see a lot. Yeah, Jose Abreu definitely did prove a lot this season. I think he's kind of a surprise. Um, he came out of left field for, for MVP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody on this podcast guessed him. Nobody did. So, None of our guests did either. Yeah, nobody did. I don't think anybody our did. Our guests all went Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, obvious choice. An obvious choice is not always right, um, except for if you pick the Dodgers, which I, <laughs> which was too obvious that it made too much sense, especially because they had Mookie. But I do want to mention one guy who's on the Chicago White Sox who I thought did contribute a lot more than most people even consider, and that's Dallas Keuchel. Like, honestly, people really considered him to be maybe like a three or four starter coming into the season. Really not much consideration at all. Um, if people remember what he was in Houston, he was a pretty good starter. I mean, he was the number one down there for quite a time. He was and, the ace. Yeah, he was the ace. He was on the mound. He put fear into your heart. So for him to come back into the White Sox with that kind of capability, with a 1.99 ERA, I don't care what else you do. If you're doing that every single year, you're going to be in a dangerous category to be one of the top pitchers in the league. And not many people really give him the credit that they need to. And I think he was honestly one of the big surprises that we had, um, especially this season. Uh, will he be able to keep it up? I mean, he is getting a bit older, so that's kind of a question to be considered. But if we use Jose Abreu as an example, does age really even matter? I mean, even Max Scherzer, does age really even matter? Because you could have a guy pop up out of nowhere and do that. Yeah, obviously you're talking about Dallas. I kind of want to go back. This is a different direction where you're talking about like elite guys, but a guy that I was really I was I was I was interested to see bounce back was uh, Lance McCullers. Obviously, he's had a lot of injuries, a lot of problems in his career. He missed a whole season. I think it was Tommy John too, I believe. Mm -hmm. But he still came back and he found a way to make 11 starts this year. Like that's that's good. He pitched 55 innings in a 60 game season, 11 starts. But that's 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 cool. a pretty good five innings a start. That's exactly what you're looking for in a 3-4 guy. And I think he's going to be more than that going on in the future. I yeah. really think he's going to be a top-tier starter because I, I loved Lance McCullers. I think he's a good pitcher. He's got good stuff. And he, he found a way to really come back. And from a guy first year off Tommy John to come back and get that the ERA that he did, he gave up 24 earned runs in 55 innings. Nothing crazy. He's a 393 ERA. Mm -hmm. But for a guy coming off Tommy John – like, that's a good start. Obviously, he had a couple of years before Tommy John that weren't great. He had, like, that 4-2-5 back in 2017. And he, he's a guy that, when he figures it out, when he gets back to the stage that he was early in his career, that's going to be a stud. He's only 20. He's only 26 right now. I'm like, that's a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing in that Houston organization, not that I'm not cheating anymore. Because I've, I've always loved the way he pitched. That curveball is, one, is dirty. That sure. curveball he throws is absolutely filthy. So he, he's a guy that I was, I was really happy to see him come back 
and be able to compete at the major league level again. Especially because coming off of Tommy John, that's not an injury. That's not an injury that's easy to come off of. You need to work extremely hard to come back from that. And yeah. and he really did find a way to come back from that injury, which is just awesome. Yeah, I uh, I think it's impressive for him to come back, and I think it was helpful for the Astros at this point in their they needed him. their dynasty. I guess you could call it. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think the Astros cheat really impacted things that much. Um, but there's no way to really know. But it really didn't impact the pitching. And if you think about some of the pitchers who have graced that mound for them, they all left a lot better or came in a lot better than they ever have been. So, Charlie Morton. Yeah, so I wouldn't think that it would be out of the realm of possibilities that we do see an improvement from him. Now, do we actually see a lot of potential going down the road I mean, he's going to be probably a middle-class tier pitcher. And in MLB, that's really what you want. You don't need a whole bunch of number ones in your team to be able to win. Um, if you look at the Nationals last year, whenever they won the World Series, they didn't have a whole bunch of number ones. They had pretty much two number ones and then a whole group of guys who could be considered three or four starters on any team, and that's won them a World Series. So, I mean, if you look at, yeah, if you look at Annabelle Sanchez – that guy's a two on any yard team. He's gonna be like he could be a three or four. And He's a two three on any yard. Patrick team. Corbin like three. Corbin's or four. Corbin was the ace of Arizona before he moved to Washington. I mean it is Arizona. You got to consider the fact they didn't have much in terms of pitching when he was there. Well, Patrick Corbin's slider is one of the best sliders in the game. It definitely is, and I think that that is the best part of his game. Uh, and we saw that even more so. So I think that you don't have to have the top notch pitching all throughout. You just have to have guys who are in the middle tier and have a couple dogs in the top rotation, which, I mean, obviously Houston still has. So at Well, the end, even for Houston, you go on to go even deeper into that one, that situation. Verlander was out this entire year. Mm-hmm. The McCullers stepping in and being able to be that number two guy, even though the, the, the number one is, I think it was Velasquez this year, actually, I believe, and he's a rookie. He stepped in, and Framber Velasquez is a rookie pitcher. Obviously, you had Granke, you had Verlander, and you had Eriquiti, who are kind of those veteran guys. But, I mean, McCullough stepped in and was able to be that 2-3 guy that just gave you innings in the postseason especially, which was huge. You need a guy that in the postseason can just find a way to get you to your bullpen. That's what you need in the, in the postseason. And you need a good enough bullpen to win the game for you. And that's, that's why Tampa made it as deep as they were. They had good starters that can get you 5-6 innings. Charlie Morton can get you 5-6 innings every game. Blake Snell, we're going to talk about this one. This one's going to be talked about forever. Fold him too early? Maybe. But that guy is going to get you five, six innings every single game and give you an opportunity to win. Yeah, no And doubt. you really need that guy in the postseason that can just get you to the bullpen. That's all you need. You just need a starting pitcher that can, get, that can save your bullpen innings. So you can use your big three guys in the back half of the game every single time. You can find – if you can find – Three starters that can get you through six innings. You should win every single postseason series you're in. I think that I'm going to jump to the World Series, and we can talk about that a little bit. Um, on the pitching aspect with the Blake Snell incident. Now, I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but I'm honestly all here for it. Probably before the game, imagine that Blake Snell knew he wasn't going to go the whole game, and they were probably going to save him for some aspect. And they said, give us five innings. And let us get to the bullpen. That's probably that's that's probably what they told him. That's probably his job, which is respectable. Honestly, just keep this game in check and allow us to get to our bullpen. Because the bullpen is a strength for the Tampa Bay Rays. Like that was their absolute strength. And you wanted to get to that point because you have people like Nick Anderson. If you get to Nick Anderson or Pete Fairbanks, game over most of the time. The only problem with that game was Fairbanks threw a lot the day before. Exactly, and that's like a thing too. Is you could still go to him because. I would imagine all these guys are definitely competitors. They're not going to say no to the opportunity to pitch in a World Series game where they could go on to Game 7 and get their boy out there, Charlie Morton. You get Charlie Morton, it's game over. You win the World Series. Charlie Hands Morton up. is the most unbeatable pitcher in a Game 7 situation. He's cheat code. He turns the other team on a rookie, and he just goes out there and he deals for seven, eight innings, and then he allows a closer to come out there also on just rookie, and just they win the game. But... 
the thing is you have to get to that moment and that's the hard part a lot of people discredit what the coach did but i completely agree with it and also it opens up the possibility that maybe snell would have been available for the next game which honestly could have been an underrated tone that most people don't understand because the bullpen did take a little bit of a beating in that postseason and well that's the that that's thing if we're gonna go to the other side now we're gonna go to the dodgers they saw a lot of pitches in that postseason they mm -hmm. found ways to get deep into counts you saw justin turner getting deep into counts even with the the, the pine tar on his back. He found ways to get deep into counts and just grind out. They, they grind out games. Corey Seager, obviously, World Series MVP, won and played phenomenal the entire postseason. That dude wasn't good because he was attacked. He really wasn't great because he attacked pitches early. He wasn't great early in the count. He got on base early in the count. But late in the count, when it came down to it, and you are behind in the count, you need to find a way to get on base, that dude found a way to get on base. Mm -hmm. And that's really all you need. You just need to find a guy that will find a way to get on base. And that was the part that Corey Seager did phenomenal in the postseason. If we're talking about guys who did incredible in this postseason, I think we would be remiss not to mention Randy. The fact of what he did is pretty impressive. He broke a record for the most home runs in the postseason, correct? He also broke the rookie record for hits in postseason. I believe he actually set the record for hits in general in postseason. I'm not wrong. Yeah, which is absolutely insane. How do you um, feel about that being a Cardinals fan? Um, I feel pretty <laughs> negatively, uh, especially like if we talk about the Cardinals' past trades, but I don't want to really get too deep into that one because we can talk about that on another episode where we really dive deep into some of those trades and talk about how the Cardinals have really honestly faltered. With a lot of those, you think about the Randy Arozina, it's kind of up in the air still because – we do have Matthew Libertore, um, left-handed, supposed stud, supposed Clayton Kershaw, supposed. And I'm not going to like hold him to that. You because need to see what he does. Yeah, because you don't know. It's honestly like... It could also be like a dud. Yeah, I would... You don't know until it gets to the, to the show. It could be kind of comparing to like putting a mystery uh, cookie dough into the oven. And it could turn into a beautiful cake. And that cake could be feeding you for the next 30 years. Or it could be a uh, piece of crap and burnt. And it could just smell really bad and be awful. So, honestly, there's a lot of ways that it could go. Because at the end of the day, if he is a good player, you could keep him for 20 years. And then eventually you could trade him off and you get something out of him. But the thing is, is he really going to be worth it? Uh, nobody knows. And honestly, that's like gambling in Vegas. Well, I mean, window. even if you go the other way, like the trade off, like the trade offer. Obviously, they got Libertori. They gave up Arozina. Did you really know what Arozina was going to be? And Martinez too, but Martinez went to the Cubs. Yeah. Mar but you don't know what Arozina is going to be, so trading him away is not a huge loss because you know what? He was just a good minor league player. He wasn't like a stud, like he was going to come out and just tear the league up. You didn't really see that coming. You just saw him being a good baseball player because he is. He's a, he is a very talented hitter and a pretty good outfielder too. He's a good player. You saw that coming. Yes, would he have been in the Cardinals organization as a Absolutely. starter? 100%. But would he have been this guy that just comes in the postseason and makes pitching look like fools? Could have been. Probably not. You, you can't say that for certain. You can say, yes, he could have. Yes, he could not have. You don't really know until it really gets there. And I don't fault the Cardinals for making that trade. Because Libertori looks like that guy that's going to be a stud. You don't really know what you're getting with Arozina. Yeah, I definitely agree with that a little bit. But then again, like I think that if you're a good baseball team, you would see the potential of this kind of guy. And also, I think another one that really hones it in for me is Oscar Mercado. Like We let him go, and we honestly just kind of – through the pooch on that one. So I think what the Cardinals really need to do is reevaluate the way they're looking at players. And you see the sentiments of that from the um, front office, especially with John Mosaylock. John is talking about how he wants to reevaluate players and maybe figure out something new that they're not doing. Uh, I think that you see that a lot. Now, are we giving up traditional MVP candidates? I mean, no, but... Randy Arizona was in the conversation to be the World Series MVP. So that's something to be thought about. But at the end of the day, 
I think that most teams could learn a lesson from that and say, how could we better evaluate our players and what kind of things could we do to better evaluate our trades to make sure that we don't get burnt like the Cardinals did on the situation, especially if Randy comes out next season and he's just as hot as he was then. I think that makes the Cardinals look like fools, and that puts a very big pressure cooker on Matthew Libertori. Like, honestly, I wouldn't want to be him because you're expected to be Clayton Kershaw then. You have to be Clayton Kershaw, and you have to be perfect, and you have to be good. But the thing is, say, like, then there's going to be pressure around you of people who are on your team saying, we gave away Randy for you, and Randy's like, if Randy becomes, like, an MVP candidate, we gave up Randy for you. Like, you have to be good. You have to be good. And that puts a lot of pressure that I don't think is estimated on the team. But I don't know. What do you well, think see, about that? What I think about this part is that it's not really pressure put on Libertori by the team. It's pressure put on by himself. Because, like, the team, the organization, the Cardinals, they're not expecting you to be Clayton Kershaw. They're not expecting you to be the best pitcher of all time. All they're expecting is that you give them back what they gave up for you. If if Arozina has one good year and is a dud, and you go out there and have five, ten good seasons, mm-hmm. that's a good trade. That you, the Cardinals won that trade. If Libertori is a number two starter for ten years, and yeah. Arozina has a great postseason, and that's all he's good for is he is great in postseason, but just an average hitter in the in the regular season. He gave you back what you needed to, and I think the best, like from Matthew's perspective, is just. Be yourself. Like, like they traded for you for a reason. They, they think you're good. Mm-hmm. They just want you to go do what they traded for you to do, which yeah. is just be a starting pitcher and go win baseball games. If you go win baseball games, no one gives a f- what you what they traded up for you. Okay. If you go win a baseball game for them, if you go win, let's say you start 22 games a year. Yeah. And you go win 15 of them. That's all they ask from you. If you go If you go 15 and 2 – with in a, in a 22 start season, that's all they're asking from you. Yeah. And I, before we get into the whole awards ceremony part of this podcast, I would like to personally give a shout out to Theo Epstein. Uh, obviously, stepped down as the baseball operations guy in Chicago. Obviously, love him. Upset that he's gone. Jed Hoyer is still a great, is a good guy. Obviously, was still part of the entire organization. Glad that they kept it in the organization. And then go get someone else. Because I, I do like Jed. I think Jed is really good as well. I think, obviously, he's learned under Theo. He was under Theo in Boston, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he just kind of brought him with him. So, I'm kind of curious to see how it goes from now with just kind of that same mentality going forward. And yeah. I'm really excited to see the future of the Cubs under Jed now. But really sad to see Theo go. Yeah, I think that's an interesting story kept up on. Um... I'm curious where Theo goes next. Yeah, I've, I heard a story that he doesn't want to stay in one place for more than 10 years. And, like five. Uh, he doesn't want to stay in one place well, for he more was than in, five. Well, he was with the Cubs for nine. So he decided that he wanted Jed to go ahead and take it over for him because he didn't want him to be like starting with a whole new team next year. He said, this is your team now. Like, this is your opportunity. Take it. And I think yeah, that's – still got a couple years before all those studs come up to the contract. Yeah, and I think it's a really good move for him, especially because this is not the situation that he excels in. He excels in teams who have a lot of money, who are willing to give up a lot of money, and willing to give up a lot of trade capital and all this other stuff to get a championship. He's satisfied the Cubs fans for the next 100 years. Cubs yeah. fans are not going to be upset for the rest of well, their life. Well, like what he said in, his, in his, his speech, or his like departing letter, whatever you want to call it, was that, yeah, he was upset that he didn't build a dynasty in Chicago, which is what his plan was. He wanted to build a dynasty in Chicago, mm-hmm. like he did in Boston. Yeah. But he was like he was happy because he's the guy that came in and mm-hmm. ended the drought for Cubs fans. It made Cubs fans happy. Obviously, 2016, one of the best years of my life, because, because in its majority because of Theo. So, obviously, that guy coming in, architecting that 2016 championship team, and still leaving a, a presence behind that will help us grow in the future and make that team even better in 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 the twenties. Because you left the arc, you left the structure behind. You left the guy that can build the structure behind to build another team that can be like that again. It gives us hope for the future. Whereas yeah, yeah. before it came in, it was just kind of lost. We would bring in good players and just couldn't do anything with them. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that he has so much potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people really don't credit him enough for what he's done. He ended the two biggest streaks. Mm-hmm. In he's MLB. going to Oakland next. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm joking. I don't know what would be next. What would you want to do next? And I guess that's maybe even a question for our fans if you want to like interact on Twitter that if you were Theo, what would you do next? Like In this situation... You've already conquered the two biggest curses in baseball. There, I don't think there's another curse out there. I mean, you could say maybe Billy Bean. The and, next next closest two are Oakland. But, but Billy Bean's not getting out of there. And it doesn't fit his and the other bill. And it doesn't fill in. And the other closest one, Cleveland. With the Indians. That's the next two closest. Yeah. It, the only thing that I really think that fits his bill, though, is teams who are a large market team, who are willing to spend a lot of money, who really want to win that championship and who are willing to go that extra mile. And I feel like the Cubs weren't willing to go that extra mile anymore. I feel like they're kind of just satisfied saying, hey, we're a good team now. I mean, they're not a bad team. They have Javi. They have Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo. They have a lot of people on that team who are pretty good. Wilson Contreras. You can go down the list, and any player on that team would probably start on any other team. Definitely start. But the thing is – I think they're content what they where they're at. So, at that point, how much further can you really push? And you need to maybe get a team that is really really hungry for this kind of situation. What if he goes to Houston? I don't I don't know, but he could. I mean, it's a possibility. I wish he would go to the Cardinals and just <laughs> throw Mosaic out of there, who's absolutely garbo. But it's not going to happen. The team that I saw him going to the most until they just signed their new GM, Miami. But they just signed uh, Kim Kim News N G. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. But they just signed her. Honestly, I think that's a great signing too, because like she's been in the organization, she knows what they're about. Yeah. So like she she I feel like she's actually been successful. Also, I think it's the first female GM in MLB history, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that is the it first is, one. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has a quite but an impressive resume m- too. Maybe she can stop Derek Jeter from doing all that he's been doing over the past couple of years. Uh, I mean, it worked this year, so... It did work this year, but that, that's not on that's not on the GM. That's Don Manningly's a genius. Um, to switch sports for a second, I think that a lot of people call John Gruden a madman. But, um, <laughs> I think he's pretty smart now. Uh, I think that what he did was right at the end of the day. So, who are we to call a madman a madman until they absolutely produce a sinker? And also, to go to another sport, hate doing this, but if... You had the Marlins look like the Jets, then okay, yeah. Oh boy. But, but the situation. To be fair, the Marlins didn't lose every game. But then again, baseball is a lot harder to lose every game. But yeah, they went to the playoffs. Like you can't expect that much is, more. And honestly, that's a playoff team. And I, I can honestly see Miami being a playoff team for the next couple of years now. Yeah. Like, like uh, the mix between young guys and old guys, you're bringing that starting rotation is actually really good. That starting rotation is going to be good for years to come. You had a bunch of young guys on the mound for them. Even in that game, even the two games against the Cubs. Yeah. There were two very young pitchers on the mound that just one of them was a little more proven. One of them was really a rookie. But they both they both pitch well. They both have a lot of movement on all their pitches. They're they're successful pitchers. Exactly. They're guys that can win baseball games for you. And that's really all you need. When you're looking at a starting pitching staff, you're not looking for five Max Scherzers. If you get one of them, you're happy. You're excited. You're eccentric because Max Scherzer is a different level pitcher than anybody else right now. And yeah. I think that's a fair statement. I think Max Scherzer is by far the best pitcher in the MLB right now. There's like one yeah. guy that competes, and that is DeGrom. That's about it, though. Really. The, yeah. the rest of them. Trevor Bauer, just... man. But Trevor Bauer did it for one year. The rest of the years, he's been that. He hasn't been that Max Scherzer, Degrom level pitcher the rest of his career. His this year's years. been different, but di- but but Scherzer's what thirty five, I believe. Degrom mm, is thirty. Let's look it up. Let's let's find He's out. He's definitely older, but I think Degrom's thirty. Max Scherzer's thirty six. He's thirty six. Sorry, from the homeland of St. Louis, Missouri. Brought to you. Mm-hmm. That's where we're coming out of tonight. So uh, coming out of here for the rest of the time. Shout out to Max Scherzer. Now. Also, shout out to Mark Burley. Um, we talked about him on one of the podcasts, so, uh, you know, out here in the St. Charles area, so, go. <laughs> go. Hero. Love them, dude. Oh, that perfect game 
with that oh. and that flip behind the back. Oh, dirty! One one of my favorite left-handers of all time. He's every thirty-year-old with a beer guts dream player <laughs> of all time. Like you talk about players who throw eighty-three miles an hour, can chug a lot of beer. And also can win you games. That's Mark Burley, and he's a guy who you want to have in a softball league as well. I feel like. Yeah, except for Mark Burley threw like ninety three. Until later years of his career, yes, but he threw like ninety three, ninety four sometimes, and then he like sat like nineties. The later years of his career, he was down there big time. He was eighty three. I was throwing harder than that. That was not. That was that was what's his name? Shoot. It was oh. definitely Mark Burley. Shoot, what was his name? Oh my, who threw eighty three? Weaver. Jared Weaver was sitting at 83 at one point in his career. Mark Burley lowed out in 83.4. His average velo was 83.4. And that was near the end of his career, I will suggest. And also Jared Weaver. That's that's a weird case in general, but... That one was weird. My favorite one still to this day is... You you guys can follow him on Twitter. We're going to give a little shout-out. No no free ads, but Dan Harden with his ITHO88 handle. (laughs) Yes. Elite. <laughs> Still man. great at 88 miles per hour, but I mean, he he was sitting 88 at one point in his career. Absolutely, he was, and I mean, <laughs> he was a cardinal at one point too, because not many people really give him the credit. But uh, he, he was a Cub too. He was. I think it was, I think his last season was in Chicago. And if we were to look at Mark Burley's average pitch velocity in 2008, he threw 87. All the way into 2015 with 84.4. And I could say I didn't throw harder than him at the end of his career. So I will give myself that much. But he was a way better pitcher than I'll ever yeah, be. Yeah, but he was also 36 at the end of his career instead of 22. Yeah, if, if he's listening to this, hey, Mark, come give us a visit sometime. We'll put you on a podcast. <laughs> and honestly, we'll, we'll, we'll get you a couple beers you can crush, honestly, on us. So shout out, Mark. Come on. <laughs> I'll we'll, I'll tag him in the I'll tag him in the we'll tag him yeah we'll tag him in this because right. he'll definitely want to hear this just yeah. skip to this point yeah yeah but, obviously loved Mark Burley though I mean so much fun watching him just growing up just going to I remember my favorite games I would go to White Sox game as a Cubs fan and just <gasps> I would try to pick those games where Mark Burley was pitching to mm. be able to see him pitch because he was so much fun he's to a watch. hero man he's a hero great guy <laughs> but we can get into the last part also, of this Caleb High. <laughs> Hey, Caleb, <laughs> early. But we can get into the last segment of this right now, and uh, we can go ahead and talk about just some of the awards that were given, uh, kind of glance over that. And, uh, I mean, like, we could talk about the ones that kind of triggered well, us. We'll, we'll start with MVP. Obviously, we already talked about one of them. We talked about Jose. Well, let's flip the other side. Freddie Freeman, guy that's been doing it for years. This, I think this is his first MVP award. Yep. Yep. But just a guy that's been doing it for years, just a really good baseball player, really good baseball mind. Obviously, uh, I mean, we're, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep on going back to my Cubs references. But <laughs> one of his best friends growing up uh, in the minor leagues system, in the major league system, was uh, Jason Hayward. And you just hear – I listened to a conversation that Hayward was having talking about baseball. Mm-hmm. And Jason Hayward talking about how Freddie Freeman was his, 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 his best friend. He was his best man at his wedding. They both love each other. Mm-hmm. And just growing up, like, you watch – Freddie, you watch Jason do stuff, and a lot of it is mirrored. It is yeah. mirrored because they grew up together. They learned how to hit the same way together, mm-hmm. and they figured out a way. Freddie Freeman is one of the best on-base first basemen in the MLB. He gets yeah. on more than anybody. He is for power well as well, too. But the, the big part for him is he gets on base. That's what he does. He gets True. on base. He finds ways to put himself and his team in winning positions. That's why, and honestly, you can go and talk about – Acuna, you can talk about that that starting staff with Max Freed, mm-hmm. with what was his name, Ian something, um, the rookie this year. I can't think of his last name right now. Shoot, but Ian, that that starting staff was really good. But the reason why they were winning as many games as they did is really on the on the back of Freddie Freeman teaching those young kids how to put the ball in play, how to hit the ball. You saw him. Obviously, he taught. Everyone how to put the ball in play. They, he taught Dansby Swanson how to play baseball better. He mm-hmm. he made Dansby Swanson the players right now. And just that guy alone. And, I mean, the other guy that you really can talk about from that team that kind of just had like a breakout year, they aren't. They aren't had a yeah. great year this year as a catcher. He has Arnett. not been that guy. He was not that guy in New York. 
with yeah. the Mets. He was not that guy. He wasn't, no. He was a different hitter this year. You can go further down. You can talk about, obviously, we said Acuna. You can talk about Ozuna kind of had a, res- had a resurgence. He was great in Miami, went to mm. St. Louis. He was good. He put the ball in a lot. He had ball just... for power a lot. And then he went to St. Louis and just was really bad in St. Louis. He was good. He honestly wasn't bad. It's he just... was He was to hit the level that he can play, he was bad. He, I mean, he was an MVP. He level could have played a lot better in, in St. Louis. Florida, but yeah, yeah, he could have played a lot better in St. Louis. And then he went to Atlanta, he and he okay. became he became the guy he was in Florida. Almost. He, still he got close to that level. His defense is terrible. We're not even gonna talk about that. That is, it, it's so bad. Hmm. But his offensive production became better in Atlanta than it was in St. Louis. Yeah. I definitely agree. I, I think that him winning this award is very well-earned, and I also think that Jose Abreu is also very well-earned. And I'm going to jump to the Cy Young. Uh, we already talked about one, Trevor Bauer. I don't think he needs much um, because he promotes himself enough. So No, we need to talk about him. You, If you're not out there following him yet, follow him on Twitter. One of the funniest guys on Twitter you'll ever follow. Great follow. Great yeah. original content. I still think my favorite part is he's like, trying to get fans to to promote why he should go to their team. Like, that is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. And it's honestly awesome. Why would you not? Like, he's the most fun baseball player. If we had an award for most fun baseball player this year, I think he would definitely be that guy. The person who I want to talk about a little bit is Shane Bieber. And I want to talk about kind of how he's progressed over this past couple of years. And also, I mean, there is a connection there with Trevor Bauer that he was – with Trevor Bauer. For we got two Cleveland years. guys winning the Cy Young. Exactly, exactly. Ohio-based. You know, it's a very Ohio-based oh, Cy Young. Um, we can talk about if that's rigged or not, but that's for another day. It's not rigged. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a Cubs fan with, with you, Darvish, being second. It's not rigged. Some people might say some stuff is rigged, but that's okay. But the only thing that's rigged is. <laughs> but anyway... We can talk about how he has done a lot better this year. Um, I honestly think that the biggest improvement for Shane Bieber is the fact that he kind of ditched the sinker. Uh, you look at a sinker, it really didn't add much value to him the past year. And then uh, in 2020, he honestly increased most of his pitches. Like his curveball got a lot better. Uh, you see the inches of drop increased by at least three, uh, which is 6.2 over average, which means, I mean, that's pretty good if anybody is keeping track at home and also um he decided to get a cutter instead of that sinker and that was way more effective and that helped him a lot people don't understand that pitch mix is a very big part of being a pitcher well and, and i don't think it's as big part as being like a reliever if you have two to three pitch. good pitchers as a reliever i'll say two uh, one pitch as a reliever is predictable if you can only throw a slider they'll sit on the slider and just Same drive man. it and throw a shitty fastball they're going to hit the fastball because they can read it. It's an MLB hitter. They've been, tra- they've been trained to do that. It's kind of assumed that you're going to throw 99. Think, <laughs> yeah, but I think the best part for, for Shane this year was that he took out that sinker yep. and he went with the four-seam because his four-seam already runs. It already has that little bit of run on it, so it's got basically the same sinker mentality almost. It moves away from, from a lefty and into a righty. And you got a cutter. Now that goes into a lefty. And away from righty. Whereas the sinker is doing the same thing as the forcing for him. It is going into a righty, away from, or away from a lefty, into a righty. It's doing the same thing for him. Yeah. If I flip that, I'm sorry, I'm a lefty. I'm thinking it from my perspective, not his. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's a thing that a lot of people really consider. Um, pitch mix is a very big part of being a pitcher and i guess it's also to note too that he only threw one of the pitches so maybe you know he did ditch it but you know, he, hey. di- he ditched this he didn't he ditched the sinker for a cutter you can see but, it it looks you can look at the, the pitch breakdown there's yeah. no sinkers in 2020 there is what is that 30 what is that where's the percentage at uh that's uh 201 pitches and honestly his his cutter pretty effective uh an inch is a drop at 4.8 and then also the inch is a break horizontally it had 1.8 which is more so than his slider which i mean take that or leave it but i think that's that's pretty good i mean at the end of the day and his slider pretty much stayed steady the way it was um his slider is more of a vertical moving slide which is not a bad thing um it makes it kind of harder to hit a lot of people basically a faster curveball for him a lot of people 
traditionally think of a slider as the left or right pitch, but a lot of people don't really understand that if you get that spin, spin is going to corkscrew it into the ground more so, and it's going to add a little bit of left to right, but it's going to look different than a curveball. Curveball is going to go up, down, and then slider is going to go more horizontally based and fall. So it's harder to kind of guess on. And a lot of people don't give that kind of credit. They think that the slider is right, but it really doesn't. It's basically, like, basically, the job of a starting of a pitcher in the MLB, in any any league really, is just you got to keep hitters off balance with the pitches and the mix you throw, and that's what these two guys did the best this year. Trevor Bauer just keeps hitters off off pace the entire game. They're like you really the entire time he's pitching, you really don't know what's coming at you because he has such a good pitch mix and mm-hmm. he will throw any pitch in any count. He is not scared because he he doesn't care. He does. He really doesn't. He just will yeah, throw. Yeah. He is. He knows that any pitch he throws is better than what you were bringing at him at the plate. True. And if you beat him, he's like, "Oh, that was lucky. I don't care." You you hit a you hit a 550 foot bomb off Trevor Bauer. He's gonna be like, "Oh, you got lucky." Mm-hmm. That's just his mentality, and that's what we love about Trevor Bauer is he does not care. Absolutely. Um, and now we're gonna do fun segment here. So you're gonna pick one of the awards. The rest of the remaining awards and pick the one that stuck out to you most. I'll give you a second to think about that, but I think the one that sticks out to me the most would have to be Don Mattingly, manager of the year. I think that he's earned that, especially with the roster that he was given. It's not like he was given the Dodgers team that he's given given before because that team is good. And any coach with a reasonable mind could get that team above 500 very, very easily. But at the end of the day, I think that there is a lot of discrepancy. And I think also, too, something that I should mention in this issue is the fact of uh, Renteria in Chicago with the White Sox that a lot of people are talking about and bringing Larusa in with his DUI and everything. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting topic. For multiple reasons, but a coach who is given a very good roster and has already messed it up. So I don't know. I think a coach has a lot to team, and maybe the White Sox shouldn't have fired Renneria at this point because he was a contender for the AL side where Kevin Cash won. So I think, that, I think that's insane. You you fired a guy before before the awards came out, just right out the end of the season, just goes, nope. We're See done. you later, Rent. See you later, Rick. Goodbye. But, like, that dude led your team to a place they haven't been in years. Absolutely. That dude brought you to a place that your team had not been in years. Absolutely. But Don was a stud. Don's Wherever Don Manley goes, he has been unreal. Like, he's been really good as a manager. And then we're going to jump into the next part. My surprise, uh, my, my favorite player from this award list uh, is is an American League Silver Slugger Award, and that is DJ LeMayu, because this dude has been unreal, mm-hmm. really since, especially the last two years. But he's been unreal since he broke on the scene. Mm-hmm. I think he's, I believe he's one of the only, if not the only player, to win a Silver Slugger and win the, win the, or maybe not Silver Slugger, but it's like the batting title award in both leagues. He's mm-hmm. one of the only players to do it, where he's been the. Leader in in, in uh, batting average in multiple leagues, but DJ LeMahieu has been a stud. He's been unreal. He just find finds ways to win games and find ways to get on base and put the ball in play and get hits. He's been a great hitter for the Yankees. He was phenomenal for the Rockies. I'm still pissed the Cubs let him go in 2011, but hmm. but he's been a great hitter and I think that he never gets enough talked about the fact that he is a very very good hitter. Like, he just does the job. Obviously, he was in that battle with, with Anderson, but he just finds ways to put the ball in play and get hits. Because he, he, he won he won a batting title award with the Rockies as well. I think it was in, I want to say, like, 2016. Um, We could actually look at that. Um, I mean, he's been a pretty good player for a while now, so. But he doesn't get. DJ LeMahieu gets none of the talk. He doesn't get talked about nearly enough for how good he is. He nope. really doesn't because he is a very talented baseball player. I would and, agree. And he has been for years. Like, that guy just does 
what you want him to do. If you like, he you want to put the ball in play, he's gonna find a way to do it. Yeah, he definitely. Yep, there we go. 2016 with the Colorado Rockies. I'm right. Yep. So, I think yeah, he's definitely a surprise, and I think that there's a lot we could take from that. Well, I don't really think he's a surprise. I just think he's like the guy that like you're like, wait, DJ Lemayu's on this list again. But, like, he, he's been a guy that's been doing it. Like, he just does it. He just finds ways to win baseball games. He finds ways to help his team win. And I, I absolutely love him. I, I mean, there's been talks about him potentially signing with the Blue Jays now this year, which I don't think is a great spot for the Blue Jays to have been in because they have Kevin there at second base. Kevin Biggio is a, is a very good young hitter. I don't know if you really want to bring in a veteran. I think what's, what's, what's his age? What's he at? I mean, he's like 30, 32. 32. So he's still within the prime of his career. Yeah, but like he's 32. Like, do you really want to bring in a 32 year old to replace a 24 year old, 25 year old? No. Because Cavan's been starting there. The only place you could potentially move him is because DJ is very versatile. He could play any position on the infield. And I really think he could be a corner outfielder. You're not going to put him in center. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't have that speed. But. You can put him in left because he's a guy that's going to get on base for you. He's going to put the ball in play. He's going to get you that batting average you want. He's mm-hmm. going to be able to put ball in play. He's going to be able, especially in the postseason. Yeah. He's been there. He's going to be able to drive and run for you, win you baseball games in the postseason. Yeah. Great hitter. But do you really want to take that salary to replace Kevin Biggio, who is no. the future of your organization at second base in Toronto? No. I definitely don't think you'd want to do that. Um or, or or Buffalo if this coronavirus keeps on going, they're playing Buffalo again next year. That's kind of fun though. But that was kind of cool having them playing a Triple A organiz- uh, field. Playing America, man. Like, I wonder how crazy that was for them. Like you, you usually show up. You're in the, you're in you're in the Rogers Center, I believe it was. Uh, What's yep. called Rogers Center up in Toronto. Centra. Beautiful stadium, beautiful atmosphere, and then hey, Buffalo. We're gonna go play in Buffalo where it gets freezing cold in August. Pass. I'll pass, but I think that's a point to wrap some of this up, and then we can talk about some future episodes that we can discuss. So I think we're going to probably go through an evaluation of each of the different divisions. We can talk about all of the intricacies of this past season, especially with like the coronavirus. Talk about how you know Toronto sadly had to play in Buffalo. We could also talk about the Dodgers and why they succeeded as a team. Uh, maybe money does buy you a championship at some point. Mookie, Mookie Betts buys you a championship. <laughs> I mean, I'm buying Mookie then. I'm buying him for myself so I can get myself a lot of championships, whatever I want to do. Dude, if you started an MLB team right now. With Mookie. With just Mookie and a bunch of other just competitors, I think you would still be in a good spot. I agree. I definitely do agree. And I think a really good – point that we can talk about in the future especially with like all this stuff going on and i feel like coronavirus is going to keep us you know in business in this off season we're not going to be having a lot to talk about not a lot of money will be spent on players in general because teams don't have the money and i think that's going to further the divide between some of the players who were paid a lot and paid a little bit um and I'm that's not- why i'm curious about trevor bauer's situation right now because obviously he's you'll a free pay agent a lot of, yeah you're gonna pay him but if you pay trevor bauer how much do you have left for the rest of the guys you want to sign? Like, let's let's say, obviously, we're, we're, we'll go back to his hometown. We'll go Cincinnati. We'll go the team he's on right now. Cincinnati resigns him. How much money do you have to sign, have left to sign players that can make you a legitimate contender next year? Uh, I mean, and that's the question because you signed him. You already are paying. Votto's getting a ton of money. Cassiano's getting a ton of money. You're gonna have to pay Tucker Beth. Uh, Tucker Barnhart a lot of money again. Yeah. Because Tucker Tucker Barnhart is probably one of the best catchers in the MLB right now. Defensively, one of the best catchers in the MLB right now. You're going to have to pay him money. So, and you got to pay Eugenio, you got to pay him money. And you got to pay, obviously, the best two-way player in the MLB, that reliever from Cincinnati. (laughs) You might have to, yeah, you're going to have to pay him. I think that there's going to be if you can name the reliever from Cincinnati we're talking about, DM us, and you will get a prize. Yes, you'll get a solid thumbs up with a picture of both of us and sign it for you. We and also, <laughs> just put out a poll for everybody uh, playing at home on how much Trevor Bauer will make this offseason. Um, 
You gotta I, be at least twenty five mil a year. Yeah, but a lot of categories. Um, we're gonna have the skeptics in there probably saying under ten million, and that Trevor Bauer is garbage, even though he won the Cy Young. But I think yeah, he's deserving of probably like I would say twenty two million for like three years, and then after that, I think there should be an option for him to have like you know the bonuses on, and you know Cy Young, maybe even MVP, and then also and also offer for an extension on the end of those three years. I think there should be an extension. I think. In the original one, you should have, like, a bonus for if he wins over, like, 18 games a year, given a full season. True. Because I don't like, that dude is probably the biggest competitor in the MLB right now that I, I can really think of. Like, that dude competes harder than anybody else I can think of. I agree. Because, I mean, obviously, just his mentality. I mean, I, everyone saw it. And, obviously, if you go to his website, you can buy a shirt that just says, send it. And it's just a picture of him with the Royals logo on it, chucking that ball in the center field. Post start, <laughs> like 364 feet. <laughs> like that's a bomb. Like I don't think people understand how far that ball it's was a thrown bomb, man. and how and, and the velocity it takes to throw that ball. It's a bomb. Because in order to throw a ball 300 feet, you realistically need to be throwing about 90 miles per hour. That dude threw it 64 feet past that. That's that's a 94, 95 mile per hour toss. Yeah. Over over the center field wall, after after his start, his start's over. That coach is coming out to pull him, and he threw the ball that far. That's impressive. It definitely is impressive, and I think that that's going to be a good topic for us to talk about, even in this next episode. But I want to thank you all for uh, hanging along with us and uh, hanging on during this uh, void that we had. And hopefully we don't have another one of those anytime soon because we look forward to making more content and also being here to give you guys the best information that we can possibly give. You guys want to message us on Twitter? We'd love to sit down and have a phone call with you guys even too and just talk about baseball. That, that's that's that both of us. That's, our, that's one of our favorite interests in this world. So if you guys ever want to have a baseball conversation, make sure you guys reach out to us on our, on our Twitter page and we will make that happen one way or another. But be warned, I like to argue. So, Yes, Logan is very argumentative. And if you make fun of the Cubs, I will argue with you as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you make one of, fun of one of his favorites, he'll, he'll argue a lot that they're the best team in the league. I understand. I do the same. So I think he's all of us do He's lived with me for a while. He understands that I don't like him when he makes one of my favorite teams. Exactly. And on that note, dilly dilly, until next time, we are not sponsored by Budweiser. But if they want to come on in, come on in and dilly dilly. <laughs>